You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Psalm 42 again is where we are going to be at. If you have a Bible, grab it, go there. If not, we can put it on the screen for you, though we do love for you to have your own physical copy of God's Word. And if you, by the way, do not have a uh, Bible and you would like one, you don't have the money to get one, let us know. We'd be more than happy to get you a uh, hard copy um, to have for your own possession. Psalm 42, starting in verse 1. The psalmist says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad, with glad shouts of songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we cannot do even the most basic thing which is to put faith in you. Even faith, your word tells us, is a gift from you. And so I pray that right now that you will give us the faith to believe that the words that we are going to look at from your scripture today are true. Help us to see you as you really are. I pray that where there needs to be repentance, that you will grant repentance. Where there needs to be healing, that you will bring healing. And it is in Jesus' name that I pray and ask these things. Amen. Every year I find weeds in my garden that just do not want to die. And as much as I would like to just spray them with a chemical or pretend like they do not exist, the truth is if I am going to get these destructive, unwanted guests out of my garden and out of my life, I actually have to get down on my hands and my knees, dig my soil or my fingers into the soil and pull the weeds up by the root. The problem is, though I know that is the way to get the weeds out of my garden because I am often too busy or because quite honestly, I just don't want to break a sweat. There are seasons where these weeds will continue to grow and spread and at times can actually choke the life out of the seeds that we've planted in our garden. And the whole reason I share that with you is because just as it's true with the weeds in my garden, if you want to get anxiety and depression out of your life, you have to do the hard, messy, sometimes back-breaking work of actually getting below the surface and to the root that is causing anxiety and depression to crop up into your life. If you remember from last week, we talked about 
how there are one of two ways to view anxiety and depression. One of the most popular ways in our culture is to view anxiety and depression as a disease. These are people who will tell you that the reason you're anxious or you're depressed is because of a chemical imbalance. Your anxiety and your depression, it's more the result of nature than it is nurture. And therefore, you can pity yourself. Uh, you can maybe blame God. Um, but basically, uh, the best it's going to get for you is just to try to go to a doctor, hope you get on the right meds, pray for a miracle. But at the end of the day, I mean, you're basically nothing more than a helpless victim. And despite the fact that study after study has now proven that is a myth, it is still a myth that lives on in our culture today. Another way to view anxiety and depression, and the way we as pastors of fellowship would view it, and I would say the way the majority of psychologists and doctors view it as well, is anxiety and depression, it's not simply a disease, but it's actually a symptom to something else. Sure, if you're anxious and you're depressed, there is something going on inside of you. Something is off kilter, something is out of whack. But when you think of anxiety and depression, don't think of it as the problem in and of itself, but think of it as a check engine light. Think of it as something that comes online that shows you that there is something underneath the hood of your life that needs care and attention. And you see, because the psalmist knows that this is what anxiety and depression is, that it's more of a symptom than it is a disease, what we see is in our text, on three different occasions, we see it in chapter 42, verse 5, we see it again actually in 42, verse 11, and then again in chapter 43, verse 5, he asks this central and probing question when it comes to our own anxiety and depression, and it's the question of why. Why are you, he says in verse 5, cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Why are you disturbed? Why are you nervous? Why are you uptight? Why are you tossing and turning? Or put another way, what the psalmist is asking is why are you experiencing anxiety and depression? What is actually going on below the surface or under the hood that is keeping your life from running the way that God created it to run? That is the question we must ask today. And though there are literally, there's a whole laundry list of answers to this question. Though there are thousands of different reasons and possibilities of why you may be experiencing patterns of anxiety and depression in your life. For the sake of time, I can't in any way, shape, or form deal with all of those issues. But what I can do is I can begin to share with you what I would say basically are, are, are two categories, two elastic categories or general categories that I think sum up what the major root issues are that cause anxiety and depression. And if you are taking notes, the first category we're going to look at today is the category that we're going to refer to as sins. And the second category is the category of struggles. So we have sins and struggles. Now, when I say sins, I mean blatant, clear areas of disobedience to God. Areas where you know what is right and you know what is wrong, and yet despite what the Scripture says, you just disregard what God has called you to do, and you basically choose to live however you want. What you need to understand today is that when this happens, when we sin, when we live in active disobedience to God, please hear me today, Depression and anxiety will crop up into your life. And listen, when it does, it is actually a good thing. Because God made us as emotional creatures, he made us to feel and he made us to feel deeply. And therefore, there are times when we sin that depression and anxiety can crop up as a good, God-fabricated, healthy response to an unhealthy stimuli. 
And so, for example, if you are here today and you are sleeping with someone who is not your spouse, or you are looking at pornography, in this case, your anxiety and depression can serve as a healthy emotional reaction to sin. As a way of God getting your attention and trying to wake you up and stop you from living in a way that's going to create more damage in your life or the life of those around you. Or if you're gossiping, or you're backbiting, or you're holding on to bitterness or laziness, and you're here today and you're wondering, and why am I so anxious? Why am I so depressed? Why is there no joy and peace in my life? Well, for you, the answer is simple. In this case, it's because you're living in sin. And you see, because God loves you too much to let you continue down a path of destruction, because he will refuse to let you dismantle people's reputation or lose your own humanity, he will, in fact, at times, allow anxiety and depression to creep into your life as a way of getting your attention. And please hear me today. When this happens, when you are experiencing anxiety and depression because of your own sin, in this instance, it is not God's punishment on your life. It's actually God's mercy on your life. It is a gift from God to you. If you remember from the analogy I shared last week, our children's director, uh, Emily, her son, Jack, broke his leg. And when Jack broke his leg, he felt pain. And because he felt pain, he cried out to his mom. And because he has a good mom who cares for him, she responded to the cries. She took him to the doctor where eventually they did a procedure, got below the surface, and was able to deal with the problem that was causing all the pain. And you see, just as Jack needed to feel the pain of his own brokenness so that he could get healing, we too at times need to feel the pain of our sinfulness so that rather than living with something that the scripture says in the end can kill you, you feel the pain, you cry out to God, and when you do, because God is a loving and a good father, he doesn't meet you with shame or guilt, but he meets you with open arms and a healing hand. That is why anxiety and depression can be a good thing. And listen to me, I get it. Sometimes you can sin And it's amazing. Can we disagree with that? Sometimes you can sin and it feels really good. And there are no immediate consequences. However, over time, what we see all through the scripture and from my own personal experience as a sin expert is obedience always leads to life and disobedience always leads to death. Obedience leads to the fruit of love and joy and peace. And disobedience leads to anxiety and depression and a life of misery. I think of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 32 where David, after having an affair, pins the following in chapter 32 verse 3. He says, when I kept silent, he's talking about sin, when I basically kept it inside of me and tried to deal with it on my own. I didn't really talk to anybody about it. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For the day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. It's interesting to me how if you get on WebMD or pretty much any other medical site, the two primary symptoms of depression are achy bones and exhaustion. It's the exact same thing David says that he's experiencing here. And for the record, if you are aching this morning, I'm not saying you're living in sin. Hey, you may just have the flu, right? But I do think there are times in our life we have to understand the day where medicine will not fix our problems. 
There are times where a vacation or counseling is not going to be enough because, listen, there are cases in your life where when you are experiencing anxiety and depression, your anxiety and depression are not rooted in a disease but in your disobedience. And because you are a whole person, because your body is not separated from your emotions and your feelings and your soul and your spiritual life and physical life, because all of that is intertwined, when you sin and you keep sinning and you don't bring that before God, when you live in habitual, unconfessed sin, you will begin to feel that down into your bones and every fiber of your being. That's David's experience. And so eventually he cries out to God. And in verse 5, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what did the Lord do? Say, how could you, David? No, and the Lord forgave the iniquity of my sin. And as a result of him tasting forgiveness, look how the psalm ends, verse 11. He says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout For joy, all you upright in heart. Notice how in Psalm 32 it begins with David living in sin, and as a result, he's suffering, he's achy, he's emotionally and physically exhausted, but then he confesses his sin, he gets his sin out in the open, and if you know the story, he confesses to his buddy Nathan, and he confesses his sin to God, and because it is a full, clean, 100% confession, right? It wasn't like a 90% like vague confession, like, oh yeah, you know, I kind of struggled with lust this past week. It was like... I had an affair with this woman at this time because it was a full, clean confession. The result is he goes from achy bones and misery to joy. And the truth is, in your own life, if you want to experience that joy, you want to experience that peace, if you want to, in the words of Jesus, experience the abundant life, the life that is truly life, you must learn to do the same. You must learn to practice confession on a regular, daily basis. You must learn to live with no secrets before God and before your brothers or sisters. In James 5.16, James says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Plain and simple, your body was not designed by God to live with sin inside of it. It will wreck you. And therefore, if you want healing from things like anxiety and depression, you have to learn to live with an open and vulnerable life. You need to confess sin so that, not just to God, but to others, so that literally, guys, listen, your brothers and your sisters can act as the mouthpiece of God, speaking into your life the, 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 the beautiful reality that you are now forgiven. Because of Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. Just this past week on Thanksgiving night, I was making protein pancakes for my family. And they're amazing, by the way. Gluten-free, dairy-free protein pancakes. And we had real maple syrup, uh, not the cheap imitation stuff that gives you cancer, but real maple syrup that has been approved by Dr. Spanos. Um, And if you've ever bought this stuff, you know it's expensive. It's like eight bucks for, for this much. And I'm making pancakes, and I just finished pancakes for Wyatt and Nora. And all of a sudden, um, I look over, and I see that Nora had at some point grabbed the maple syrup and basically dumped the whole entire thing on her two little bitty pancakes. And there were still, like, all the rest of us in the family, four of the people that needed the syrup. And I would love to say in that moment I handled it really well, but to be honest, I did not. I actually lost my mind. I went, <laughs> I went up to my little six-year-old daughter, and I said, What were you thinking? And she goes, ah, and she tries to tell me, before she can even tell me, I grab her and I spank her bottom. I really did. 
She starts crying. She runs off. Megan looks at me, and she's just kind of like, you probably owe her an apology. And I was like, okay, I, I do. I know. So I go into the room where she was, and I said, Nora Kate, listen, um, what you did was wrong, and the fact that you took all the syrup and you used it for yourself, but the way Daddy responded was wrong, too. I sinned against you. I should not have gotten so angry and responded the way I did. I said, will you forgive me? And she said, yeah, Daddy, I'll forgive you. And then if I'm lying, I'm dying. She looks at me. She says, Daddy, you know what the good news is? I said, what's that? She goes, not everybody just now was mad at me. And I said, oh, yeah. And she goes, yeah, because God's slow to anger. And I was like, what? <laughs> yes, Ouch. But at the same time, I was really proud. I was like, who was your teacher this past week at Fellowship Kids? Um, and so I began to carry just even more guilt and shame over that. Like, man, like God the Father is slow to anger. And, and, and yet I'm so like not like him. And so I went back to Nora about 10 minutes later and I said, hey, let's get in the car and let's go look at some Christmas lights. So we drove around the neighborhood and she sat on my lap. And Again, I was just struggling with guilt and shame, and I said, Nora Kate, listen, Daddy is a big sinner, and I really need Jesus. And again, I'm not making this up. This is not preacher exaggeration. I just believe it was the Holy Spirit at the moment. She grabs my face, looks at me, and she says, Daddy, I know, and Jesus really has forgiven you. Now, in that moment, to hear that come from even my six-year-old's mouth, I went from feeling heavy to light, from deep sorrow to joy from this anxiety to this peace. And listen, that is the power of confession. When you confess to others, you need to allow them to speak back into your life the truth of the gospel. It is life-giving. David said, when I kept silent, I felt like I was wasting away. But when I confessed, right, he said, I experienced forgiveness, which led to joy. Now, all that being said, sometimes we do experience anxiety and depression because of our own sin. But then sometimes, listen to me, because we live in a really messy, upside-down world, sometimes we experience an anxiety and depression because of the sins of others. Sometimes we experience anxiety and depression, and in those moments we are the perpetrator. There is nobody left to blame but us. But then sometimes when we experience anxiety and depression, it's because we are the victim. I was talking with Adam this past week, who does a lot of our counseling in the church, and he was telling me on a conservative estimate, that 75% of the ladies that he's done counseling with in our church have been sexually abused. 75%. Gosh, sisters, I just want you to know that if that is you, we grieve with you. We're so sorry, and, and even more than us grieving with you, God grieves with you and he suffers alongside you. You are, in fact, a victim. For some of you in here, you've never been sexually abused, but you've been physically abused. For others, maybe you've never experienced sexual abuse or physical abuse, but you've been verbally abused. You've been cut down by your parents. Nothing was ever good enough. You'd bring home four A's and a B, and they would just be like, how could you make this B? That was their focus. They, they made fun of your weight, or they put unrealistic expectations on you. For others, maybe you were abandoned by your parents. You had a mom or a dad who left you at an early age. They walked out on your life rather than taking care of you, leaving this massive hole in your heart that you've been trying to feel for others. Maybe you haven't been abused or abandoned, but you were neglected. Your mom or dad never told you they loved you or that they were proud of you. They were workaholics. They didn't show up to your games or your, your, your band camps or whatever it was. They were, they, were, they were not home, or maybe they were home, and when they were home, they weren't really home. Do you know what I mean? That they're emotionally distant. They provided you with all of the things like food and shelter and clothing, but the one thing you needed the most from them, which is their presence, they didn't give you. So for some of you, you grew up basically in a Russian orphanage. 
And as a result of that, listen, though we would like to think, ah, well, the past is the past. The truth is the past is never just in the past. The past is still very much in our present. And the less you want to talk about that or think about that, in many ways, the more it haunts you and drives you and shapes you in ways you can't even imagine. And that is what moves us into the second category, or what I would call a trigger to our own anxiety and depression, and that is the category of struggles. And by struggles, what we mean by this is simply patterns, listen to me, patterns that have been woven into your own DNA and personality as the result of growing up in a broken and fallen world. And though there are thousands of struggles that I could never possibly deal with in the amount of time that we have, what I want to do is quickly, if you're taking notes, I want to share with you five struggles that I experience in my own life and I would say that we experience in counseling. For those that we have met with, these are the main struggles that people tend to encounter. And the first struggle that I want to talk about or patterns kind of been woven into our own personality and DNA is because some of you, because you grew up in a broken home, you have grown up with the struggle of what I want to call perfectionism. Perfectionism. How many of you in here have taken the Enneagram personality test? Raise your hand. Okay, a lot of you have taken it. Um, if you're a member of this church, we ask you to take uh, the Enneagram personality test. And so find it to be a very helpful tool in helping us think through our past. I am a top three, but my second score is a type one which is called the good person or the perfectionist. And basically what that means is for me, I walk around in my life and I think everything has room for improvement. And my wife, unfortunately, bears the weight of this more than anybody because there are times where maybe after cleaning the house all day long, I'll come home from work and all of a sudden she'll hear a vacuum cleaner running in the other room and she'll be like, I just vacuumed that five minutes ago. I'm like, yeah, okay, well, there are crumbs right here. And she's like, where are there crumbs? Like right there. It's like, I don't see them. It's like, well, they're right there. I promise you. Right. And I'm vacuuming the rug or I like find the one streak on the window or, or whatever. I mean, you just name it. And if you are there, if you can relate with me, listen, you know that if you are a perfectionist, of course, you're going to be given over to anxiety and depression because we live in an imperfect world. We live in a fallen world where there is always something dirty that needs to be clean or broken that needs to be fixed. Whether that be your body or your marriage or your kids or your house or your church or for me sometimes like a sermon. I mean the list really is endless. And therefore, listen, if you cannot learn to rest in the perfections of Jesus Christ on your behalf, if you cannot learn to be okay with the fact that there will always be an unfinished product and trust that even if the laundry is not sorted just right, that Jesus is still on his throne, if you cannot trust that fact, then though your life on the outside may be clean, I'm telling you, your life on the inside will be an absolute mess. It'll be a tornado. It'll be filled with anxiety and depression. But still, this is a struggle that many of us fight with on a daily basis. For others, one of the struggles that we have that has been kind of wired into our own DNA and personality is the struggle of what I would call narcissism. Narcissism. In a society that Time Magazine has labeled as the me generation, that is dominated by selfies and social media and the Kardashians, narcissism is at a pandemic level. And when you think of narcissism, please hear me, don't simply think of the megalomaniac rock star standing on a stage or don't think of like the bodybuilder who's flexing in the gym mirror, right? But think of anyone who has an excessive preoccupation with their own life. From checking social media to see how many likes you have to secretly kind of fishing 
for compliments or a pat on the back or looking around in the room and thinking about, man, what does everybody think of me? These are all signs of narcissistic behavior, twisted forms of a me-centered lifestyle that in one way or another will lead to a life of misery. And as counterintuitive as it may seem, if this is where you are today, what you need to know is if you're going to overcome anxiety and depression, you need to actually stop thinking about yourself so much, and you need to instead think about others. I think about Paul's words in Philippians chapter 2, who said, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy... By being of the same mind, having the same love, being a full accord and of one mind. Do nothing, Paul says, from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, is this easy for anybody in here other than Christa Eubanks? Right? <laughs> Or a top two on the Enneagram. The reality is, like, this doesn't come easy for me at all. But notice what Paul says in here. And keep in mind, Paul is writing from prison. He's lost everything as a result of following Jesus. And he's trying to tell the church how to have joy in all of life, no matter what your circumstances are. And notice he says, the secret to having joy in all of life is not thinking less of yourself, but it is thinking of yourself less. It is to, and I quote, in humility, to count others more significant than yourself. It is, in the words of Tim Keller, to learn the freedom of self-forgetfulness, to come to a place where you stop looking so much in the mirror or obsessing over your own issues and problems or any grand report, and you actually go and you serve other people. You stop waking up and saying, I wonder how other people can make me happy today. And instead you wake up and say, I wonder how I can make others happy. You stop asking the question, I wonder how my missional community and the church can serve me. And you think, man, how can I serve the missional community? How can I serve my spouse? How can I serve my kids? Instead of waking up and saying, okay, what can the world do for me today to give me peace? You ask the question, what can I do to bring peace to the world? And Paul says, when you do this, you can begin to discover joy, no matter what your circumstances are. Another struggle that uh, I think a lot of us deal with is the struggle of performance. And this is basically where you believe the lie that basically you are loved not for who you are, but for what you do. Your value rises and falls based off of your accomplishments. And therefore, because all of us are looking for acceptance and love in this world, if you are a perfectionist, you tend to believe that the way you're going to receive love and affection and value is by climbing the ladder of success. And this is such a recipe for anxiety and depression. Take it from someone who is a performance junkie. Because you know what happens if you begin to think your value rises and falls based off of your accomplishments. Here's what happens. You look and you always see there's somebody up above you on that ladder. And so you always feel like, man, there's another bar that i got to climb, right? There's more work that's still to be done. And where depression comes in is either you realize you can't get there, or even worse, you get there, you get to the top of the ladder, and you realize it's leaning up against the wrong wall. And now the thing you've been working so hard for to try to get fulfillment, you get there and you realize it doesn't fulfill you whatsoever. And you plummet into depression. There was a study done about Olympic athletes. And what they discovered is the people who were most depressed after an Olympic event were not the losers. It wasn't your bronze medalists or silver. It was actually your winners. The gold medalists are actually more depressed than anybody after an Olympic event. And you know why? Because they work their tails off to get there, they win it, and they realize, wow, that's it. 
It doesn't give you what you think it's going to give you. And yet for many of us, we struggle with performance. For others in here, because of the life that you've experienced and the way you've grown up, you struggle with what we call temporal vertigo, which is basically just a fancy way of saying that you have a hard time living in the moment. You either live in the past, which always fills you with shame and guilt and what was I thinking or bitterness, or if you're like me and you tend to be a control freak, you want to live in the future, which always leads to anxiety. Because when you live in the future, always asking the question, what if this happens? Like, like, what if I get sick? What if that falls apart? What if she says no? Right? And that's what anxiety is. It is, in the words of Seth Golden, experiencing failure in advance. It is negative self-planning for things that, listen to me, guys, 99.9% of the time never even happen. And as a result, we surrender up hours and weeks and months and even years of joy and peace. This is why Jesus in Matthew 6.34 says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If you have a watch, I want to encourage you, look down at your watch or your phone. I know like nobody wears a watch, Harley, but look at your phone. Somebody tell me, what's today's date? The 25th. What time is it? 10 what? 10.27. Okay. 10.28. Okay, all right. What Jesus is saying right here in Matthew 6 is don't live at 1029. Don't live at 1027. Don't live in tomorrow. Don't live in yesterday. Don't live in the, man, I hope I get the promotion or, oh, I hope I pass the test or whatever. Like, live in today and realize that the God who holds all of life, including the future, in his hands is with you. Live in the moment. For some of us, we have a hard time doing this. Finally, what I would say is one of the struggles that keeps us from experiencing peace and joy in our life is the struggle of ingratitude. The struggle of ingratitude. For some of you in the room today, and you would never say this out loud, but you really do believe that God owes you something. Maybe you've been taught by even a pastor that if you will just be faithful and you'll be obedient, then God really does owe you something. And so you sit here today and you think, okay, come on, God. I've been coming here on Sunday mornings regularly. I think it's about time you give me that promotion. Or, okay, God, I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. I think it's about time you give me some healthy kids. Or, okay, God, like I've been doing this. I've been, I've been serving my missional community, so I think it's time, right, that you give me that spouse. Or, or what? I mean, you fill in the blank. And if that is where you are today, listen, I want you to know you are not alone. I am someone who tends to compare myself to others all of the time, who has more than me. And as a result, I begin to play that game where I'm thinking, oh, come on, God, I'm definitely more faithful than that guy is. And if you've given him that, like, like you owe me. I mean, I planted a church. I, I gave up a lot to try to, 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 to make much of your name, God. Come on, you owe me. And if that's where you are, just please know that according to the scriptures, God actually owes you and me, nothing. In fact, even on our best days, according to the scripture, because we have sinned against the holy God, you know what we deserve? We deserve hell. That's what we deserve, and yet rather than God giving us what we deserve, he actually instead offers to us the free gift of salvation, a free gift that anyone in here today can receive with the empty hands of faith and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And what's amazing is not only does God, not only is spiritual life a gift, but even our physical life is a gift. 
I was reading just yesterday in Psalm 24 where it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, everything that you see belongs to God. And yet rather than God hoarding his possessions, by his grace he knitted you together with his hands, he filled your lungs with his breath, and now he shares his stuff with you. He shares it with us. And because this is true, what that means is, listen, the food that you eat, the house that you live in, the kids that you parent, the money you spend, every stitch, every drop, every inch, every penny, it's all a gift from God. And if we could just begin to believe that, if that could just settle into our hearts, I'm telling you, gratitude would absolutely begin to mark your life. It would. It would. Adam sent me a video this past week that I think sums this up pretty well. It's about a minute and a half long. And so um, do we have that, Ryan, or we can play that? I think you just gave me a thumbs up. Was it a thumbs up? I'm alive! I'm alive! Hey, Christine! You're here too! I love you! I know! Dad, what's happening? That's super cheesy, right? But also a little bit convicting, isn't it? Because it just communicates the reality that all of life really is an undeserved gift. And when this begins to settle into our heart, rather than sitting around and thinking about what all we don't have, we can be blown away by the generosity of God and all that we have been given. And for the record, I am not saying today that... Hello, Spotlight. Um... (laughs) For the record today, I'm not saying that you should just ignore reality and pretend like when there are sad things in your life that it's actually not sad. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is if you want to live with joy and peace, we need to take time every single day to count our blessings. For me, what this looks like is every morning I try to list 24 things that I was thankful for within the last 24 hours. Whether that be coffee or a conversation with somebody or the health of my kids, whatever it may be. Listen, if you want joy and peace in your life, we must learn to cultivate an awareness of all of the good things that we have received. And in return, think the source of that goodness, which is God. So, again, that's not an exhaustive list. But there you have it in two different categories. Part of the reason that we struggle with anxiety and depression. You have sins. And you have struggles. You have things that we have done to ourselves that create anxiety and depression. And there's things that have been done to us that can cause anxiety and depression. And therefore, in light of that, the next step for you this morning 
is if you are battling anxiety and depression, if you're experiencing patterns of this in your life, the next step for you is to figure out what is the root issue that is causing anxiety and depression to crop up in your life. And by the way, this takes longer than you might think that it will. Don't freak out if you don't get an answer by the end of the week. Some people have been wrestling with this for months. Sometimes you wrestle with it for years. I just come to believe that God will give you the answer when he knows you're ready for it. Sometimes we're not ready for it. And so don't beat yourself up or fall into guilt and shame. But with the help of the scriptures and the Holy Spirit and your fight club and friends and family, possibly meeting with Adam or a counselor or a doctor, right, over time, right, learn to be honest about what your root issue is. And listen to me, if your root issue is sin, then the next step for you is really simple. It's like really cut and dry. The next step for you is to repent. To repent. And when you think of repentance, don't think of a somber religious duty but rather think of it as a life-giving art that renews your entire soul. Think of it as a way of stepping back into the patterns of living that God created you to walk in, which always produces the fruit of love and joy and peace. But if you're here today and you're like, man, Jared, like, I don't think that's what's causing my anxiety and depression. Like, sure, I'm broken and I have sins in my life, but there is no, like, habitual sin, there's no unconfessed sin that is there in me, like there's no like active, like clear di- disobedience that I'm aware of, and yet I'm still battling anxiety and depression. So, so what do I do? And if that's where you are this morning, listen, that the reason for some of you, you may be experiencing anxiety and depression is not because of sins you are committing, but because of sins that have been committed against you. Whether it be sins of commission or omission, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, somewhere, and listen, oftentimes what we're discovering, most likely in your childhood, please hear me, you received a wound that because you never dealt with it in a healthy way or didn't know how is a wound that has become infected, and now that you have gotten older, is beginning to ooze out into your life in the form of anxiety and depression. And if that is your story, if you're here today and you're like, man, I don't know why, but I do have this like, temporal vertigo. I'm always living in the past. Or I'm always living in the future. Or, right? or I, I am a, a narcissist. or I'm a perfectionist. or I'm so ungrateful. I just always see what's negative in the world. Right? The next step for you is to figure out, like, why is that? Like, what happened in your life that began to kind of weave that pattern of thinking and being into your DNA and personality? And what I would say is, again, this is a journey. This doesn't happen overnight. Right? This is no, despite living in a quick fix culture where you're told like you can just do like step one, two, and three and be fixed, there is no quick fixes. But if that is where you are and you are experiencing anxiety and depression, possibly because of a sin committed against you, here are four things quickly that you need to do. The first thing I would say you need to do is identify the wound. You need to figure out where did you receive a wound in your life? What was it that maybe was taken from you that you valued? What did you lose? How were you hurt? Again, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, by a parent or a loved one or whoever it may be. Secondly, you actually have to begin to feel that pain. And I know that is really, really hard. I talked with some of you last week that have been getting off of your antidepressant medication long before I even gave this talk. It's like people went through it away after my talk last week. But they said as a result, they've just been like crying every day. But what they're starting to realize is actually a good thing. Because for the first time ever in their life, they're actually mourning what happened to them. And listen, guys, that's a godly response. Some of you should cry and be very sad about some of the things that have happened to you in your life. If you cannot feel that, you cannot be healed from that. And so you need to identify the wound. You need to feel the pain. Third, you need to actually begin to grieve the offense, which kind of goes into what I was just saying. And then fourth, you need to be able to release the offender. 
You actually need to forgive the person or persons who took whatever it is that you valued, who hurt you in the way that they did. Again, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. And guys, listen to me. Because we grew up in a fallen, broken world, we all have some sort of story where we have been hurt or wounded. We all have. And if you have never gone through this process of identifying that wound and feeling the pain and grieving the offense and then releasing the offender, I'm telling you, you will begin to more and more experience anxiety and depression in your life. And I know that when I talk about forgiving the person who hurt you, some of you are like, Jared, you have no idea, though, what has happened to me. Like, there's no way I can ever forget what happened. And listen, to be clear, I'm not telling you to forget. To forgive is not to forget. Okay? To forgive is not even mean, doesn't even mean you have to trust that person. To forgive doesn't even mean you have to be reconciled to that person. Like, go back to their life and say, hey, we're going to be BFFs, right? But you do have to learn to release that person. And by the way, when you learn to release them, you realize really the person you're releasing is yourself. It's yourself. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 15, this is why forgiveness is so important. He says, if you do not forgive the sins of others against you, I will not forgive you of your sins against me. That's a pretty heavy statement. Jesus clearly takes forgiveness seriously, and we know he takes it seriously because eventually he went to the cross where he shed his blood for the forgiveness of murderers and narcissists and thieves and adulterers and sinners just like you and just like me. And while he was hanging there on the cross, stripped, naked, bleeding out, and dying, he looked at the Roman soldiers who were sent to ridicule and reject and execute him, and rather than Jesus cursing them, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That is the shocking, provocative grace that Jesus has extended to us, and now he calls us, listen, to extend to everyone who has hurt us. C.S. Lewis says that when we refuse to forgive, we become bitter, and bitterness, bitterness is like drinking the rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Some of you in here today, you are bitter, and please hear me, you think that your bitterness is a shield when in reality, your bitterness is a prison. And it's enslaving you and it's keeping you from experiencing the freedom that God wants you to experience. I know as we come to a close today, the things I'm sharing is not easy because again, what I've just told some of you is that maybe you're not a victim. Some of you are a victim. Some of you are not a victim. Either way, we all have responsibilities. We all have action steps we need to take. And I know that this is not easy, but please hear me. Because Jesus is back from the dead, it is possible. The truth is today, no matter who you are or where you come from, no matter what you have done or has been done to you, listen, Jesus is loving and he is patient and he is kind and he is compassionate and he is powerful and he wants to actually bring healing to your soul. And if you will trust him today, he will, and this is a promise from Scripture, He will take even the most horrific events and things that have ever been done to you or you have done to yourself, and He will turn even those things into something that one day will only make you more beautiful in the end. That's His promise. And that is why in Psalm 42, David says, in the midst of his own anxiety and depression, put your hope in God. Don't put your hope primarily in a personality test. Don't put your hope primarily in a, a doctor or a pastor or medicine. Not saying any of those things are bad. But put your hope in the God who walked through his own pain and his own suffering and his own fear and his own sorrow so that you can now walk through yours and listen to me and you can trust that even when you feel like that you are right now experiencing death, that on the other side of that death truly is a resurrection. This morning... 
For some of you, maybe for the first time ever, you need to trust your life to Christ. And if so, I want to encourage you to come and talk with me or talk with Adam. We would love to share with you next steps. For some of you, maybe you have religion, but you do not have a relationship. One of the questions that I've stopped asking people in Paragold, Arkansas is, are you a Christian? You know why? Because everybody is. The question I ask is, are you enjoying Jesus? That's a different question. Are you enjoying Jesus? Some of you are not. You do not have a life-given relationship with him. And my prayer today is if that is you, we want you to know you're so glad that you're here. We'd love for you to talk with me or Adam or Luke, whoever you can or someone you came with. For those who are here today and you have trusted in Jesus Christ as we do every single week, we need a tangible reminder of the gospel and the fact that Jesus did walk through his death or through his own sorrow and his own fear so that we can now walk through ours. And if you're here, even if you're not a member of our church, we invite you to partake of communion. We have uh, two stations in the front, two in the back, gluten-free option. If you need that, you can just tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and be reminded of the good news in a tangible way today. If you are here, I also want to say this, and you're struggling with anxiety and depression. I know last week some of you didn't get a chance to be prayed over because like over half the room stood up. Um, and so if you want prayer, again, uh, Adam will be here in the front. I'll be here. Just swing by. Come on by. We'd love to just pray with you and pray over you, okay? Let's stand together as the band comes forward. I'll pray to kind of help us enter into a time of communion. We'll sing together and then we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for every person who is in the room today. I thank you for... Uh, waking us up once again, God, sustaining us through the night while we did nothing. You kept the world moving. Once again, you've kept our hearts beating. You've brought us here. And now we ask that through your Holy Spirit that you will take the songs that we have seen so far, the, the teaching from your word, and that you will drive it into our hearts. I pray, God, there are some here today who are just convinced, um, God, that, that they're hopeless, that they're always going to battle anxiety and depression, that they are enslaved to this that there's nothing that can be done. Maybe they're convinced that you are displeased with them, that you're angry with them, that you're impatient. They think you actually really are quick to anger. And God, I'm reminded even from my daughter's words, you're slow to anger. You're so patient. You're so kind. Would you just help us to be honest with ourselves, to come to you as we really are, and trust that there we will find healing for our souls. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh,